0: What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Apartment 113 podcast, where we talk with cool folks in the cannabis and psychedelics industry to learn about their projects and celebrate their successes. My name is Rob Sanchez, and this is episode 19. We're joined today by Sean Yoder. Sean is the founder of Time Cannabis CFOs. Alder Tyne provides fractional CFO and CPA services for the cannabis industry. Sean has a long history with the legacy cannabis market in Northern California, acting as an accountant and financial advisor. He has a few different other projects going on, including being a member of the dope CFO community of nationally recognized cannabis and CBD accounting and tax professionals. Learn more at Group. Dot com that's a l d e r t i n e group com and enjoy the show sean welcome to the show man
1: nice to be here rob i appreciate you having me
0: yeah it always good to have uh always good to have an accountant on the show and and dig into the numbers side of the industry i think that's it's it's the most important part but sometimes kind of an afterthought too for operators
1: yeah, I think for most people it's like, oh, the boring part. But uh, it it definitely d- determines whether you're going to be successful or not.
0: Yeah, it's all coming down to those to those quarterly reports, the the cost of uh, cost of goods and and things like that that kind of standard and uh, maybe normal to manufacturing industries, but definitely unique or still being learned about on the cannabis side.
1: Absolutely. And you know, I, I've worked in, in farming for, for many years, uh, not just cannabis, and it is determining costs of uh, a pound of anything is, is, is very challenging. And uh, a lot of farmers, and uh, I, I don't want to just single out cannab- cannabis farmers, uh, even though they, they tend to get looked at, you know, kind of funny. Uh, most farmers, even if they're growing chickens or, or almonds, they, they struggle. With their their cost per pound, it's 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 very challenging in the ag business.
0: Oh, so it's not it's not necessarily an issue with cannabis. It's more just cost accounting in general is not a an easy thing to embark on.
1: It, it is, and it's it's hard to it's it's not necessarily always intuitive uh, because you're adding so many different types of things into how you generate that cost per pound. So. It's just something that I've, I've, you know, I've I've gotten used to working with, and I think the most important thing here is to for a lot of people to remember is at the end of the day, especially if you're a cultivator, the cannabis is still agriculture. Uh, a lot of people say that it isn't, but you're at the end of the day, you're farming.
0: Very much so, yeah. It's uh, it there's no way around that, right? You need to track your track your inputs, prepare your soil medium, you know, keep the rooms clean, or keep your field trimmed and, and ready to go it's a uh, it's an industry maybe that people get a little excited for and we'll we'll dig into that man but let's talk a little bit about your journey to cannabis as an accountant um, kind of which industries did you get started in or how did you find yourself in this pivotal role for businesses helping them with their finances uh, for the industry
1: yeah I, you know my 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 background in the cannabis industry goes back to being a teenager, so I've been I've been around, I've been around the cannabis game for a long, long time. Growing up in Northern California, it's been a big part of my life. It's a big part of community life here, uh, and so it was always something that I was interested in. Uh, and my parents were very concerned about that, and so they, my mom, intervened when I was about 16 and said, "You've got to get a, get a trade, son." My parents were entrepreneurs, they own their own business. And so they essentially taught me accounting for their business. And from there, they sort of gave me a pathway in life. And so I've done a lot of different kinds of accounting over the years. Uh, But, uh, you know, what it really came down to is, is that when I was working in agriculture, that was kind of when the light bulb went on. It's like, well, aren't people just growing cannabis too? Couldn't I do this? And that was where I started sort of researching and going, oh, I I really want to serve, I want to serve the community that is around me that, I, that I'm very close to, and, and, and very passionate about. And that was when I found out about 280E, which is you know the IRS tax code, which really makes this industry extremely difficult. And it's a really, really simple thing that it says, no deductions, no credits. And so that means that everything falls on your cost of goods sold, that's all you get. So you're essentially looking at businesses, the, the normal tax rate is anywhere between 20 and 30%. You're looking at businesses at anywhere between 70 and 90% tax rate. So. Accounting is absolutely essential if you're gonna make it uh, in this industry, and so that was when I was like, "This is the niche for me. They need me."
0: Right? Yeah, man. And achieving profit still with a seventy to ninety percent tax is uh, almost impossible without excellent bookkeeping and you know taking advantage of those tax codes that operators can, like four seventy one. Is that how the cost of goods? can help to offset some of that tax weight.
1: That That's exactly it. Uh, 471.11 is specifically that, that subsection of uh, inventories at cost, uh, which is what that whole 471 section is all about. But that one is specifically for farmers. And I knew about that for years working with chicken farmers, that we were using 471.11 to figure out what the overhead costs are. Because it's more than just your direct labor. It's more than just your direct inputs. It's things like lighting, water, Uh, you know, rent, uh, if you're paying rent or if you have a mortgage, you know, figuring out all of those different uh, additional costs, which will uh, determine your cost per pound, how profitable you are, but it will also lower your tax bill. And what I've normally seen, Rob, is everybody always says, oh, you know, uh, there's a lot of negative uh, news about this industry that, oh, people are gaming the system to pay less taxes. But in my experience that most people are Afraid of tangling with the IRS, so they're overpaying in their taxes. So you already have a business that's struggling to be profitable, and because you're afraid of getting nabbed in an audit, that you know that you're going to end up having to pay some sort of high tax bill, you're going ahead and giving them that money uh, upfront, which may or may not be rightfully the belong to the IRS. So that's you know that's very concerning. Wow. To me. Yeah.
0: So they're actually taking it in in the opposite direction and being overly cautious, right? Trying to avoid those pitfalls and and knowing that their business is gonna be high on getting that red flag or getting that audit selection. So yeah. four seventy one was not created for cannabis. It was it was around in agriculture before. Were there other codes or other laws that I, I guess were giving agriculture agricultural businesses trouble that four seventy one was created to improve?
1: Yeah, you know, 471, for any business that had an inventory at all, 471 exists. So if you're a manufacturer, you're using 471, or if you're a retailer, you're using it. Uh, you know, there when 280E came along, it was really to nab drug dealers. It was to add enhanced penalties that, you know, was essentially basically saying, not only are we going to get you on the criminal side, but we're also going to get you on the tax side, too, that you're going to get a hefty tax bill. Uh, and that really on, honestly came out of the cocaine trade, but, you know, it, it, it's going to apply to any Schedule One drug. And then when California and other states started to legalize, you got your California, Washington, Oregon, Colorado, all of the states began to, to legalize. The At that point, Congress had to say, well, we have to do something because this is now a legitimate business at the state level. And so basically at that point, they said that you could use 471 Uh, like any other inventory business. And then it became the only way that you could actually lower your tax bill because you're not going to get your standard costs that lower your tax bill. Uh, you, You know, if you donate to charity, you're not getting a, you know, if you do marketing and advertising, which is why you see so many companies that have so many sub entities. Like you'll see a lot of companies that will split off and they'll have a media company and they'll have a company that has all the property holdings and things like that. Those are all ways to get those uh, to, to lower the tax bill. So there's there's a lot of different strategies uh, and there's a lot of different interpretations of how to uh, work with 280E from very aggressive to uh, to ignoring it. I definitely see a lot of some people choosing to ignore it altogether at, at their own peril.
0: That's a hard angle to take.
1: Yeah, it is.
0: <laughs> so 471.11 doesn't completely offset 280E even with 100% accurate tracking and bookkeeping, you're still going to have that elevated tax rate as a cannabis business, but it does take a a bulk of that weight away. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that is. Uh, You know, if you're doing it correctly, what I've seen is, is that people are actually able to, small privately held businesses are actually able to run profitably. And that's always like, that's the big winning moment as an accountant when you're, when you come into a situation where there's chaos and people are struggling to be profitable or don't have a clear picture, and then you help them to do their accounting correctly, and then they see their first tax bill and they're like, "All the money that I spent on you was we, we just saved that on taxes, so you've definitely paid for yourself and then you know then they can see that path to profitability and that, that's a huge relief in this industry with everybody struggling the way they are.
0: Yes, yes, indeed. And is that really the kind of some of the that ambition or some of the passion then that led to Alderton Group and and the cannabis CFOs that you're a part of now?
1: Yeah, definitely. The The idea was is uh, that when I was just helping my neighbors uh, determine their cost per pound and help them to file their tax returns, that was one thing, which was, you know, it definitely lit a fire. Under me in terms of how I wanted to do this, but then I saw this ind- industry is desperately in need of professionals uh, to to do this work, and that was really where I'm, I needed to do something, and that's that's when I founded my company. And basically, that's what we do. And I, I you know, i primarily focused in California, but I do work in other states. I'm definitely making inroads uh, in Oregon and also in South Dakota, uh, of all places. So, and I, I I'll be honest with you, California be, being so big. Uh, is its own set of challenges in doing business no matter what. Uh, it, California always brings its, its, its own set of problems and challenges. But when you work in a smaller population state like Oregon, or especially South Dakota, which is an extremely low population state, a lot more business just gets done on, uh, you know, I know somebody down the street that can do that. And I love that, that the fact that uh, things can get done more and like, let me go knock on somebody's door, kind of that more intimate sort of environment. And I really enjoy that
0: right yeah, getting the um getting out of the california market can be probably a good and a bad thing in that regard um escaping from some of the litigation um perhaps em- embracing a different culture there as well and it's and it's still cannabis right the same and the same problem exists across all those all those state lines as every state seems to think that they've got it right or that they've learned the best from all of the past states and i don't think we found that solution yet
1: I don't think we're going to until we have federal legalization or at least rescheduling. Let's just, you know, let's leave it at just rescheduling. I have very strong opinions that with rec now with Minnesota, looks like they're, you know, they're going to be rec here. I mean, you can buy cannabis beverages all over right now in, in Minnesota, like at liquor stores. So to me, it's already legal there. But when you have half of the states in the country that have have recreation, the cat's out of the bag as far as I'm concerned. I don't think there's going to be any sort of rescheduling for any sort of pharmaceutical or medical or at this point, I think most adults at at this point just want cannabis. That seems to be, and it seems to be, you know, there are very few issues in America these days that aren't polarized. And cannabis seems to be one that just has a broad sort of like, it doesn't matter. Like where I live here in in Red Bluff, it's it's a predominantly older community when I go to the dispensary there, and i'm I'm no young guy, and when I go there, the people there are ten or fifteen years older than me, and that is always to me it's like this has such broad consensus in terms of this is what people actually want, which is exciting uh, i I don't think that the market has even come anywhere near critical mass yet, but I think it's all going to be a huge problem as we're seeing New York having a terrible rollout and
0: you know, we still have states yeah, like what has happened there <laughs> off the rails in New York City.
1: <laughs> you know,
0: that's an example of red tape for sure. Y-
1: it is. I think that anytime you have big population states, I think, honestly, they're going to have the same sorts of problems uh, in Florida when they finally go wreck. I just, you know, big population states have their own set of problems. I think the only big population state that might be able to skirt around it because they have such a great medical program is Pennsylvania so all eyes on Pennsylvania uh, but
0: everybody else has just been so they might be able to grandfather wreck in kind of without blinking an eye or without you know misstepping too much huh
1: absolutely I wonder if that's
0: why Missouri has been has been it out of the park so they've they kind of seamlessly switched over from med to rec and have has been breaking records um the cost per pound in the state's skyrocketing so they they did something right or, the, or it's just that ingrained in the lifeblood and then in, in the daily or in the culture of the society, kind of as you're saying, you know it, even in these states that you wouldn't typically call out as cannabis friendly states, it's still you know widely used and, and widely purchased.
1: It is you know that was I had the uh, I worked in the in the music industry and I had the opportunity to go across country twice in in the back of a of a van uh, with a band and uh, the two things I learned in the nineties was one that if you were in an in the independent sort of rock music scene like you were funding your tours by selling cannabis uh, from town to town, especially in the college campus towns that you would roll into. That was how you were funding your tour. It wasn't because there were so many people at your shows that you were just raking it in. And the other thing that I learned
0: is, is that... That was an added benefit, huh?
1: Yeah, it was. And the, uh, the the things that I learned were places that I didn't think were... I knew that they weren't cannabis friendly, but I had no idea that people were so into it. Places like Nebraska, places like Missouri... Places like Tennessee, uh, Alabama, like they really were into cannabis in those in those states and that was a big eye-opener for me. Growing up in Northern California, I thought that was pretty much – the cannabis culture was pretty much centered in the Emerald Triangle and nowhere else. And then I go across countries like, no, people it are really into the this. It got media
0: attention the most. Yeah. yeah, exactly.
1: And that was a big eye-opener for I me. Feel-
0: yeah, I feel like the uh, like legacy farmers in Kansas and Missouri, they're probably thankful that more of the heat was thrown on the Emerald Triangle as it let them keep, op- <laughs> keep on smooth operating there.
1: Absolutely. And you know, at the end of the day, the thing you have to remember is in the Midwest especially, and I think that the Midwest is really going to dominate uh, cultivation when we have a, a, a federally legal market. You have people that are, are extremely talented at growing literally anything. And so... Generational they, yes.
0: families in agriculture. Right?
1: Exactly. Just like I live in the Central Valley here in California, and that's what people do here is, is that they grow things, whether it's rice or cannabis or anything else you can think of. And I think that those places where you have this long-standing farming tradition are places that I, and I'm not surprised that Missouri is, is doing so well is because you have lots of farmers there. And I think that states like Kansas and Nebraska, when they finally come on board you're going to see a tremendous amount of output from those states that'll that and, and a lot of money being made
0: yeah and the the home grow opportunities in those states are excellent the soil you know in the midwest and things like that is is unique uh, it's nutrient dense and in most areas so i think a a cultivar or some cannabis plants that were selected for that environment or that were trained in that environment could be Wonderful. And um, and like really widely accessible there in especially like Missouri, Iowa, thats some of that soil where there's growing corn and, and wheat and all this other stuff. I love to see cannabis alongside those staples.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that I learned, I learned a lot about regenerative farming living here in the, in the, the northern part of the Central Valley because of the poor soil conditions here from years of abuse from cattle cattle ranching. And so there's a lot of uh, regenerative farming going on here. And one of the things that I discovered was uh, from from various farmers is that growing things like hemp and cannabis is really restorative to the soil. It helps to rebuild poor soil. Uh, So I think that in places that haven't been uh, such great places to grow for a long time, that have, you know, favorable non-arid environments, uh, I think that uh, the what it can do for, for those particular places is, is going, we don't even know yet. And that's the, that's the wonderful thing is how, how are different yeah. cultivars going to <laughs> perform potential. in different places? What are the potentials? We don't even know yet. And it's exciting to be, to be honest with you.
0: Yeah, definitely looking forward to seeing those industries continue to evolve um, as, you know, you know, we are making fun of every state trying to do it differently and kind of and failing in different ways but there is some good in that i mean with every state trying to improve right and learning from the last one and really all of the different communities and in, in each state and kind of in each region are kind of watching each other and um and mirroring as the as the industry grows are are there other industries that alderton group caters to or is it exclusively cannabis at this point
1: it's exclusively cannabis. I, I have another business that I do. Uh, you know, awesome. I work in, in healthcare, uh, doing accounting for healthcare, which is one of the reasons why I ended up in cannabis. Like Healthcare is a great way to make money, to be honest with you. That's not an industry that's going anywhere. In fact, it's a growth industry. So I have this sort of fallback that allows me to pursue passionately, a lot more passionately if I was just trying to start up a business in cannabis. So I've definitely focused on that, you know, focusing specifically on cannabis and, and nothing else.
0: I see. Right. Yeah. And having those um, and no, or knowing the other industries that that you can specialize in having those fallbacks or side projects is always great um, on the on the cannabis front or at least in, in my past, you know, building software. I've I've always walked that line and occasionally jumped into non-cannabis industry solutions and back into the cannabis side. It's it's good to be able to pivot that way and. You know, something that we're definitely trying to highlight with Apartment 113, showing that there are so many folks in the cannabis industry doing roles that are very far, in a sense, from, from cultivating, from truly putting the seed in the ground, but still, you know, working day in, day out to, to make the industry happen.
1: It's, it's still a small industry in the amount of people out there it's you know you get a pretty good lay of the land after a couple years in the industry and who's out there who the players are but at the same time the diversity of what people are doing uh in this industry to to service this industry to make sure that people are growing fire uh that they're manufacturing products that are innovative and new it it takes a lot of people to do that that's the thing that to me is so Impressive when you go to something like MJ Biz in Vegas to see how many people they are doing, how many wearing, you know, how many different hats and, and different roles they are to to make this engine go. Uh, it, it's really impressive to me that there are so many people out there who it is you. One one thing I've discovered from the accounting profession, which is a very straight and conservative profession, that there is a stigma attached to it, and you have to kind of make that leap into the industry. And so when I look at it and see other, what I would call suits out there in this industry, and people can say whatever they want about suits in this industry, but those people had to take a tremendous risk uh, to be in this industry. Maybe not the same, same risk way. of going to jail yeah. like a like a, a farmer.
0: Ah, uh, yeah.
1: But at the same time, they've had to, you know, sometimes like, you know, my clients are, my my non-cannabis clients are not exactly happy about me serving this industry. And, and I'll be honest, my mom had a lot of concerns about me serving this industry, and we've had a lot of talks about it. And and I think I finally allayed her concerns basically by showing her, like, this is what my bank account looks like. And she's like, you go, son.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll talk about the morals of that later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it can definitely be hard to, to convince the family there. I, when I started cultivating in Denver in 2011, 2012, and it was a, I think – Several hard conversations with different sides of the family on that so at that time because of the industry had really had, was really in the like heyday still with states still figuring out compliance, Colorado, California kind of online that uh, at this point it's grown on them all I think uh, and they were all cool about it after those discussions. but growing up in Kansas, you can imagine there were some reservations.
1: <laughs> absolutely but you know you had the courage to do it and you stuck with it i mean it's been it, it's been a long time for you now at this point your family has had to accept it as being a that's what you do
0: yeah it's it's definitely part of the part of life now um another question on the alderton group where does the name stem from is there a story there
1: you know it, it's actually aldertine um but you know a lot of people oh, i've
0: pronounced it wrong probably 12 it, times since the beginning it, of the cast alder group
1: I'm used to it at this point. It's kind of an unusual name. It's a unique name. And I'll tell you exactly where it came from. It has kind of a funny story. I was camping uh, one time and I found an alder leaf. Uh, this was out at the the Lost Coast, which is the coastal part of uh, the Emerald Triangle between uh, Humboldt and Mendocino County. I've been going there for 20 plus years, uh, same place. And the giant alder groves uh, from a community that once existed there uh, that's no longer, And I was looking at the alder leaf, and what I noticed was all of these tines coming off of it, off of a main stem. And I said, well, this is kind of like a cultivar here. And I thought about it. It's like, when you look at cannabis and all the things that it can do, it is, it's like a plant, but look at all of these things it can do. And I was like, they look like, you know, tines on a fork. So I'm like, alder tine. And I was kind of going for that sort of unique sort of name, you know, how the like pharmaceuticals always have unique names. Uh, like that and that was kind of what I was going for is one plant can do so many different things and change So many different people's lives and so it's like th- there's all these different pathways coming off of one plant and to me That's fascinating. There are very few plants like that. Maybe corn maybe rice, but that's be and those are those are staple crops that you would expect but uh I would say the only other plant that's close to that, which has been cultivated for a long, long time is the opium poppy because of the, 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 the effects of, uh, you know, pain relief as far as that goes. But cannabis, you can't use opium on a regular basis without becoming horribly addicted to it. And guess what? Cannabis is like opium light without all the addiction <laughs> issues.
0: <laughs> yeah, this, that's definitely a good, a good origin story, man. I can see the connection there and, and without a doubt yeah those different tines and those different kind of tranches and areas of the industry are slowly being defined as as new ones are emerging where we didn't even expect to see them it's a it, it's a good approach on on that front and and when it comes to the um, to the branding and the naming i think uh is is a great example of branding in the industry as i'm personally tired of of the uh green puns and 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 smoke related (laughs) titles but
1: that was one of the things to be honest with you and I appreciate you saying that mentioning that uh you know because I came out of this culture as a young from as a young kid uh for me it was like I don't I am a stoner you know but I don't necessarily need to advertise that because I think at this point people who know me well enough are like yeah we know you're you're cool with the plant. I don't need to sell that I'm down with the culture. What I uh, what I found is that I need to sell yeah. that I'm competent yeah. with your accounting. <laughs> and I think most people are are well aware that I'm down with the culture. It's like, are you good with my accounting? And so if you, if I use one of those green puns, like you said, or a smoker term, people are just like, oh, just another dude out there from from the from the culture that's trying to do accounting. Whereas I'm trying to. I'm from the culture, but I'm also the serious professional too. And I was just, you know, really. Uh, so I appreciate you talking about that because I really struggled with that.
0: Yeah, it's always hard to name uh, well to name anything, right? A project, a story, or a um, a, a company, a business. But um, yeah, it's good to have that that backing and kind of know what what it represents when making those decisions moving forward. All that all that fun stuff in branding. I think brands are are gaining a lot of traction in the cannabis industry as we've seen that uh, operators have a hard time at times distinguishing themselves Oops. as much as uh, some brands can as they white label and use other manufacturers or in- are able to increase their footprint faster than a micro license. Uh, when it comes to the accounting side for these brands, is it an easier game as they scale um, or does that scale introduce more complexity as as you'd expect. I didn't know if maybe it's once it's done on a on a small level, if the accounting side can actually um exponentially grow without too much headache.
1: You know, once what's nice when you start small, uh and you think about this stuff from day one and this is something, you know, anybody who's gonna listen to this who's thinking about starting a business in this in this space is when you're still really small, think about the scaling then, and really scalability is all about having your procedures in place. How do you do things? Make sure you have that stuff well-documented. I really like to shoot videos, basically say, this is how you do this, this is how you do this, so that anybody can go back and reference that. And if you think about that stuff early on while you're still developing the business, it becomes so easy to scale up because you're like, oh, we've already proven that we can do it at a small scale. We've documented those procedures. We can think about what it looks like if we do 10 times that, 20 times that. And it also makes it, you know, one of the great things about cannabis is that once you know what a particular cultivar's yields are and get, a, you know, and what your soil is going to yield, you can look pretty far down the road uh, in your harvest. So if you have an indoor operation and you're looking at doing four or five, you know, short-term harvest in a year, which is, you know, pretty ambitious, you can get a pretty good idea of how many pounds you're going to generate based off of what you're going to grow. And that is really helpful. And that all starts uh, at the very beginning, you know, by harvest one, harvest two, when you're still early on, if you're trying to figure that stuff out when you're in harvest five or six, you're kind of missing the boat and you're going to have some challenges. So it's better, you know, Ah, so it's not exactly
0: this. Right. Okay. So it's more the timing of when you get started with it, rather than the size or the scale of the operation.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and when you go ahead,
0: um, no, when you're coming into these businesses um, to help them as a CFO or help them with their the financial side of things, I imagine you've seen um, a very well, maybe some very well organized books, but also maybe some that were absolutely chaotic. Is there some approaches that you take to start to kind of rein the business in or maybe some areas that you turn towards first as a CFO for a cannabis business?
1: You know, that that's an excellent question. That's really getting into the nuts and bolts. Uh, I've seen everything that you can possibly imagine. I've seen books that the companies that I've worked with where I come in and go, wow, there's not much cleanup involved here. This is really, really, really well set up. It's always... There's somebody on the team, an owner or a founder on the team. It's like, accounting is important. You take care of that first, and everything else flows from that. And then you have others who Someone are like, Someone else hey.
0: from the dark side, huh?
1: Yeah, exactly. And then you have somebody else. It's like, hey, I'm really, really good at growing fire, and we'll worry about the books later. And that's when you run into the major disasters. And that's where you have to do a lot of cleanup. Uh, But you know cleanup is it's a pretty standardized procedure you determine where the problem areas are you work with the client to figure out what they need you know the, 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 the quickest and you kind of work through it that way and you kind of give them an idea it's like oh you've got a major mess you're looking at six months worth of cleanup you've got a minor mess you're looking at 90 days worth of cleanup that kind of thing. Uh, but that's all pretty standard procedure. That's just something we're used to in accounting when we're dealing with an existing business is that when we come on board, there's gonna be some some level of cleanup. Uh, what I really try to strongly caution businesses against is things that, uh, and and I see this all the time, <clears throat> as we have new trends develop in the industry, there's this sort of overwhelming need of like, oh, we need to try that too. And in the process of doing that, you get away from what your brand is and what your core competence is what you're really good at, you start drifting away from that. And I call that shiny object syndrome. It's not my term, it's a pretty standard oh, yeah. term.
0: Right. And
1: the idea is Just
0: being distracted by the by the all the hotness, the next ex- the next innovation or the most trendy product or cultivar. But reacting to that can sometimes uh, put you behind the ball instead, because you know you're reacting to something that's already out there. Right by the time you have it ready, chances oh. are it could be things could have moved on, or that light could have changed, so that exactly. you find yourself up a creek, maybe in a worse point than you were before.
1: <laughs> Bingo! I think you you've hit the nail right on the head there. And so what I try it's to it's a tell-
0: very common problem in software.
1: Yeah, it sure is. Definitely. Like what new bells and whistles can we put in there? And by the time you get around to developing those bells and whistles, those bells and whistles have changed. I see the exact same thing in cannabis. So, and, and, you know, in software, it's, if you've got a good idea, it's easier to go out and find somebody to back you with capital, and possibly even go down those rabbit holes with you until a certain point where they go, well, you're not coming up with anything that, you know, You're, you're it's taking too long, we're gonna pull the plug. Whereas in cannabis, it's hard to find investors. So what I try to remind owners is that you have a limited amount of capital resources available to you. So you need to pick, I know you've got 18 lanes and they all seem great, but you need to pick like two or three lanes that you need to be in from for now. See how those other lanes, how they develop over time, and then based around what you're successful at, Pick the right lanes, but don't jump into them all at once. Because, like you said, I think you said it perfectly well. You're going to end up further behind than than when you started, and that's that's a terrible place to be.
0: Right. And I can imagine it can uh, it can be difficult to talk these business owners down off of their like their stage, you know, their celebration and and their mission, you know, when they're trying to accomplish those 18 lanes or that hundred skew product line versus maybe focus on the flower that, you know, that helped them establish the business first or on, you know, whatever values they've had, they have there. That's, um, that's a unique part of business consulting. Does that, does that roll into the services of an accountant often actually outside of the cannabis industry to provide business insight and kind of odds and ends, um, wisdom from their experience?
1: It does. It really is, you know, the, 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 the... Role of the CFO is to keep people in their lanes and to define what the business processes are for the various things that you're going to do, who's going to do what, you know, and how is that going to be accounted for. So it definitely all rolls into that if you want to do things the right way and i learned that you know i, I learned a, a lot about cost accounting working for the sierra Nevada brewing company And one of the things that i noticed is that they never steered away from their core competencies their core competencies making pale ale it's everywhere they make lots of other different kinds of beer but they're never going to sacrifice the time and effort that's going to do anything to hurt that flagship product and i the light bulb went on there it's like everything you should be doing should be done to support that flagship product. Whatever it is, any new innovations should be a support of that flagship product.
0: Yeah. The Pareto principle in action right there, right? You know, 20% of the product line is 20% of the product line is probably making 80% of the revenue. um, Finding what that focus is, which is often the, that initial ambition or whatever that seed was that started the business or the plan on, I also saw recently that you announced that you were starting a CFO for, this is another business I'm probably going to murder the pronunciation of, and it's Tom O'Pies holding company, um, THC. Correct.
1: Yes, absolutely. Uh, I, I'm really proud of the work that we're doing there. We've assembled. We're still in the pre-revenue stages. Uh, we're going to be uh, soliciting uh, for friends and family uh, funding here in the, in the next few weeks. It's one of the best leadership teams I've ever worked with in any industry. That I was able that I was able to introduce some of the you know people to the team, but also that all of these people coalesce together uh, out of this passion for the plant, and is specifically about thinking about you know innovative packaging, uh, and also thinking about. I, there's I'm I'm limited in terms of what I can say at this particular point in time, so I'm. Uh, a lot of
0: things in the works. Huh? Yeah, a That's lot of awesome. things
1: in the works. I think it's going to be a disruptor. But the thing that I think is most important, and, and I, I spoke in front of the Trinity County Agriculture Alliance last night uh, uh, with with uh, Holly Carter from Oxalis, California, which is one of the big compliance uh, uh, regulation, uh, you know, help you stay in compliance company. And she said something that really meant something to me. And this is what working at THC is all about, is that, even in California, growing indoors is is the rule, not the exception. And that growing, doing sun, sun-grown craft cannabis, it's a, it's a unique uh, minority, it's, but it's the only world that I've ever known in this business. And so working for THC is a support of that portion of the industry, which is really, really important to me. And it's probably not important to a lot of people, but there is gonna be a small group of people like, oh, sun-grown craft cannabis that, you know, that's, that's a unique thing. yes
0: that that outdoor quality that craftsmanship behind um, behind those cultivars and behind the products that a micro business or a small outdoor grow can create is is unparalleled I've tried to you know many many different strains and cultivars from legal industries and from not so legal industries and in, in supply chains and I think that um, from anecdotal experience that outdoor always has a a very nice flavor to it. And if I, when I can find sun grown, when I'm in the California markets and things like that, it's always a preference. Um, there was a study recently on the T the THC and the terpene percentage, um, showing how outdoor cannabis actually has a higher terpene content than its indoor brethren. And they grew two, um, like basically two rounds of the same cultivars and compared the test results. That being said, the interior or the indoor grow was higher in THCA, but they also found that that that, um, type of THCA was um, more likely to induce anxiety than the THCA that was from outdoor grows as well. So there's some science even backing the anecdotal evidence there, but I'd love to see that, um, the ability for the industry to embrace those small and craft growers more and to not end up shoving them out with tax tax laws and you know different margin issues and things like that. Because you can't really do that type of cultivation on full like cannabis industry scale without sacrificing, you know, you're sacrificing something at scale. You are. It's just the similar to microbreweries and and the coors brewery in Colorado. It's just a They're different beasts and kind of solving different problems.
1: They are. I think think you see the industry very well uh, as far as that your perspective is is very right on as far as that goes. And, you know, because I take that, because it's the culture I come from, I take the the smaller farmer very seriously. There are a lot of my colleagues who won't, won't work with farmers like that simply because they're too small. But I always figure out some way to help them to, to ensure that their small businesses stay profitable, even if it's only like a couple hours a month, or I only see them once a quarter or something like that. I always try to figure out a way to help them as well, because they're, they're small potatoes to me, but I know that the work that I provide for them is like the difference between them, you know, succeeding or failing. And so it's really important to me because I would like to see those people stay in the market.
0: Yes, definitely. And I've, I've recently had that experience, even as, you know, setting up some of the business side of things on, for my projects, I've run into questions where I just can't, I can't personally solve the problem. It doesn't matter how much I Google or try to research on my own. I don't have the background to answer the like financial question or the business question that I have. And, you know, having resources or finding, um, finding assistance like that has been invaluable to get over a few, a few real obstacles, I think. So that's a, Um, a noble pursuit for you for you and in providing your services that way to the industry well with that man i just want to thank you again for for joining me today and and for sharing your you know your accounting knowledge and and telling us about the the origins of alder time group where can our listeners find more about you and and reach out or connect with you
1: uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm very active there. Uh, you can just look me up on there. Just uh, Google in Sean Yoder. and Or you can go to Aldertine Group, uh, A-L-D-E-R-T-I-N-E group.com. And you can go to my website and find out more about what I do there. And, uh, you know, that I'm definitely very active in the community. So you, you'll probably hear my opinion somewhere. Whether you agree with them or not, is a whole different thing. <laughs>
0: Hey, man, thank you again for for sharing your insight. I've enjoyed the conversation.
1: Absolutely, Rob. It's been a real pleasure being here. What a great interview. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Apartment 113 podcast. For more information about the show and our range of services, visit apt113.com. We offer cannabis operations consulting, agile product management, and connoisseurship services. With over a decade of experience in the cannabis industry, Apartment 113 is here to help.